John chapter 8. Um, the first 12 verses are, um, I, a story we've probably heard before, and it's, um, but we'll look at it and talk about it, trying to look at it logically. Sometimes when you're looking at scripture, if you can use logic, you can get a lot out of it. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Uh, teaching was one of the uh, major uses of the, of the time of Christ on earth, is just to teach. And it is one of our main. There, there is the preaching of the gospel, and if you, if you if the Great Commission was to go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, there's also the idea of teaching them. And so, uh, and what do we teach? We only can teach the the Word of God. We can only teach what the Bible is. And one of the there was a great prophecy that came out today, and it was all over the place of. A rumor that some man 23 years ago or 20-something years ago said that when the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, that that will be the sign of God, that the Spirit came to him and said, when the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, that will be the sign that God is raising his chief apostles to rule the world in the, the powers and the signs and wonders of Acts would did be upon the earth like it's never been seen before. It's real. It's all real. And because it's been 50 years since the Chiefs have been in the Super Bowl, then this was now the Jubilee year of the Chiefs. And so because it's 50 and because they're playing the 49ers, it's 49-50. Right, and so... And so because this, this, all of this revival that we see, whether it's all, uh, whether it's Bethel or Nar or all those things, it originated years ago in Kansas City. That's where it started. And so this is their feeling that, and so, and, and they're not doing so well. So I guess it's not going to be the end of the world as we know it. But, uh, it's just, um, a little bit of what we talked about today and what this is Jesus is talking about now it's teaching we teach the word we teach the word and it's so important I think it's more than ever important that we teach the word uh, verse 3 this is why because scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery when he set her in the midst they said to him teacher this woman was caught in adultery the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? So this is very important. So if you read that, only those five verses, um, you wouldn't really know whether and what their motivation was. Are they just wanting to know how to handle this situation? But then you get to verse 6 and it says, This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. So their motivation is known to us now. They are coming to Jesus 
in order to remove him, to take him down, if you want to say it in that language, to catch him in some kind of a uh, a lie or law-breaking. Um, and so all of us here tonight, are, are the adults here, have been proven to be uh, great servants of the Lord, all of you. And so because of that, all of us have probably experienced where somebody comes to us with a loaded spiritual question. And the question is, what? let me ask you a question. If God is so holy, then why? Well, that is not a person who's coming to you to grow in the Lord. They want to make a fool of you if they can. And so I try to answer those kind of questions with, are you asking God a question or are you questioning God? And there's a difference. To question God is to stand up for for him arrogantly. Uh, But if anybody lacks wisdom, the Bible says he should ask of God. We have the right to ask of God. So we know from verse 6 that the men's motivation here was questioning God not to ask a question. And Jesus does something in verse 6. Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. It is okay to ignore the loaded questions. It's just okay. And and we shouldn't feel as if we have failed if we do. Um, remember Pilate and Jesus? What frustrated Pilate? Jesus opened on his mouth. He went as a lamb to slaughter. There was no need to answer these questions. And then Pilate said to him, Answer me, don't you know I, I hold your fate in, in my hands? Well, he doesn't hold the fate of Jesus in his hands. And so sometimes the Bible says that we are not to engage in what's called doubtful disputations. So what's a doubtful disputation? Well, a disputation is a dispute or an argument. A doubtful argument is one that has no answer. There's circular questions. There's circular things. We are to stand for the faith, like we talked about this morning. But there are certain things that that we just don't have concrete answers to. And they're doubtful disputes. And by the way, it's those doubtful disputes that are the cause of all the denominations that we've talked about. So Jesus stoops down and just writes with his finger as though he did not hear. He doesn't even engage with these men. So they continue asking him. Well, let's first of all, uh, before we go to the next verse, let's talk about how they were trying to trick him. So they brought this lady caught in adultery. And they bring the law of Moses to this. Verse 5. Moses and the law commanded that such should be stoned. What do you say? Well, this is a question that any answer he gives is the wrong answer according to one side. If he says she should be stoned, then he lacks the grace and mercy he's been speaking about. Plus, this is a religious law that was broken. 
and they're in Rome, and he certainly doesn't have the right. For example, if I was to call the police because someone did not come to Sunday school and say, hey, we have a person that didn't come to Sunday school, they're truant. Could you please go to their house and arrest them? The police would say what? No, I won't do that. Now, if I go and I arrest a person myself and we have a little prison back in the back of the church and we put him there for 60 days, then we would be charged with kidnapping. We don't have the right to do that. So if Jesus stones this woman or gives her permission to be stoned, breaks the Roman law, but if he says no, let her go, she didn't do anything, then he breaks the law of Moses. So they're trying to trick him and get him into this this can't-win situation. And they really think they've got him. So Jesus just doesn't address them. And then he continued asking, verse 7, he raised himself up and said, He who without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. So let's think about this for a second. So his answer to them, and this now has become the very famous verse that keeps us from judging people. And and we certainly are, if we judge others to be less sinners than us, then that's certainly wrong. Um, at the same time, do you think these Pharisees would have admitted they were sinners or would they have lied about it? I'm not sure that they would have admitted that they were sinners. I think they really felt that they probably weren't. But that's not what happened. In verse 8, he stoops to the ground and wrote on the ground. He goes, So he's writing on the ground, and then he looks up and says, If you have no sin, you can cast the first stone. And he goes back down and he begins to write again. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. So we get a little bit of insight here. So Jesus just writes in the sand. And then one by one, they leave from the oldest to the youngest as he's writing. While the Bible gives no details of what he was writing, by the circumstances, we have a pretty good idea, don't we? Uh, and, and I don't know what he was writing, but in my mind, I always picture it was, you know, Pharisee Bill stole money from the till on October 16th, you know, 30, <laughs> whatever it might be. And then go to the next one. And I'm sure some of them men had a little bit of adultery in their background. And the fact that he was mapping this out to them, they one at a time, and this is really important, they were convicted by their conscience. And they haven't really shown a conscience up till now, have they? They were treating this woman horribly. They were plotting to kill Jesus. They had already... Um, um, done awful things they've been doing awful things stealing money and all kinds of different things uh, so 
we can conclude that something that he wrote caused this conviction of their souls. And we also have the examples of when Jesus called his apostles, and I think it was Nathaniel, when he came, he says it's the apostle in which there is no deceit. And he says, how do you know me? And he says, well, I saw you under the tree. And so remember the woman at the well? Yes, you have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. Jesus always, already we've seen the history of Jesus using his knowledge of our lives in order to get our attention. So we can we can kind of make that assumption. Whatever it was, the Spirit of God or whatever it might have been, when he said those words, their convicted souls would not allow them to pursue this any longer. And they all left. So then we get to a uh, sometimes difficult uh, part of this. In verse 10, Jesus raised himself up, saw no one but the woman. He said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Now, under the law in Roman, you need to have two witnesses or two accusers at least. She said, No one, Lord. And he says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is a great verse. It's a verse that, that I use a lot when I'm thinking about the way of people, you know, when they come to, well, we shouldn't preach against homosexuality because God loves everybody. There's, there's two different things there. There's two different things. Homosexuality is a sin according to the word of God. It doesn't keep us from loving everybody, but it doesn't stop us from, from, from proclaiming what God says is wrong. So he says to the woman, I don't condemn you, but then he tells her to do what? Go and sin no more. He also doesn't approve of what she was doing. He loves this woman. He sees in her a heart that can be changed, but a life that needs to be changed. When he, and, and one of the things we always hear, and I've talked about this a hundred times, is when Jesus is described as the man who eats with sinners. And so we should not condemn the those who commit abortion or condemn those. Yeah, well, maybe not condemn them, but we certainly should go to them and share with them that their life can be fixed. And oh, how dare you say that? A woman has a right to her body to do whatever she wants. Well, the Bible says that and Jesus ate with sinners. Yes, but Jesus says, I eat with sinners. Why? Because they are sick and they need a doctor. And the people who are caught up in sin are enslaved to that sin and they need a savior. They need to be saved from that. And so she, he, his interest in this woman is that she be redeemed, restored, and saved. But the answer to that is to go and sin no more. And then he proclaims, I am the light of the world in verse 12. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And I think this is making reference to what he wrote. I think he is saying, I know everything. I know everything you've done, and I can write it down, and I can reveal it. I know this woman's heart is good, and I know that she can be redeemed. I know that your heart over there, you men, is bad, and you have no desire for redemption. God knows that. We can't do that, but God certainly can. He is the light of the world. 
The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. So, what does that mean? This is a, That's a really important verse. What does it mean your witness is of yourself and your witness is not true? Well, it is the idea that if you claim to have done something and no one else saw you do it, there's no proof that you did it. I use two illustrations with the kids when I'm talking about this. I'll always take one of the uh, smaller kids in class and I'll say, Phoenix, there's a kid in our class named Phoenix, really nice kid. It's uh, the Alexanders. He's really, he's um, Mike and Debbie's grandson. And he's in my class, and I'll say, well, Phoenix told me that he dunked a basketball at lunch today. Well, he is, he's not very tall. And so, um, and I'll ask the kids, how would I prove that? If he said, well, you'd get somebody who saw him, or you'd make him do it. So when he says he dunked it, nobody would believe it. So it means his own personal testimony isn't enough to hold up in a court of law. Does that make sense? And the other th illustration I'll use is I'll ask one of the kids what they had for dinner last night. And uh, one of the boys said, I, I went to a Mexican restaurant. And I'll say, no, you didn't. I don't believe you. Well, I did, Mr. Planning. We went to the Mexican restaurant last night. Went to Hacienda. I said, no, I don't believe you. We did. Uh, I don't believe you. And then the kids would get mad at me. Mr. Flanagan, well, just call your mom. Call your mom. Well, she'll tell them. And, uh, and so the point is what? One person's testimony, what they did, isn't enough. And then it just becomes his word against what? Yours. You get this at school all the time. He started it. No, he started it. No, he started it. No, he started it. Well, how do you solve that? Unless you have somebody who was there, somebody who saw it, there's not a whole lot you can do. We know that somebody's lying. So they are looking at him and saying to him, we don't believe you, and you don't have any proof. Your witness of yourself is not true. So Jesus says a very interesting thing. He says, verse 14, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. But you do not know where I came from, and where I am going. That's the great perfect answer, which is the illustration of the Mexican restaurant. And I said, so I told the young man, I said, here's how you answer the question. You answer it, and you say, well, I know where I had dinner last night. And whether you believe me or not, I don't really care. I know where I had dinner last night and I don't really have to prove and this is what Jesus is saying I know where I came from I know where I'm going this is your testimony I know by faith by the changed life in me by, by walking with Christ for 40 years I know the Bible's true I know that Jesus is Lord I know that when I die I'll be absent from the body and present with the Lord and if, if the world wants proof of that, then they'll have to find it on their own. Now, I have witnesses. I have Liz, who was knew me in high school and knows the change. But my testimony is true. I'm saved by faith. 
Verse 15, you judge me according to the flesh. I judge no one. He says, you know, you come to me and you look at me as a man you think was, was born in Galilee. Remember that argument last chapter? You see me as the son of a carpenter, as maybe even the illegitimate son of Mary, whatever. You look at on the outside and so you dismiss me right away as being from the Lord. I judge no one. Yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I'm not alone. I'm with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. So he says, so according to your law, you're right. My testimony alone doesn't stand the legal requirement. However, I have another witness. Verse 18 I am the one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. He says, I have another witness. It's my Father. Well, when was the Father the witness? And it was when Jesus was baptized, the voice from heaven cried out and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, heard by John the Baptist and others with him. And so his Father's witness is true. Well, this is going to be a burden for the Pharisees because they believe in the Father, don't they? They believe in God. And they said to them, where is your Father? Okay, we're, we're, bring your witness. Let us talk to him. He says, you know neither me or my Father. If you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. That's such an important verse. There is no father without Jesus. I don't know how many thousands of people across this country falsely believe they have a relationship with God apart from Christ. It's a harsh thing. You know, we had the tragedy this week of the helicopter crash. And when a, when a famous person like Kobe Bryant passes away... Uh, you see all kinds of false doctrine and false teaching about um, people's relationship, and 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 we know, you know, there there is some evidence that Kobe Bryant had a relationship with Christ, but for the world, it's well, he's in a better place. I'll see him again. I know he's out there with this person and this person. They're all getting together and reuniting. And everybody creates this perfect scenario of where everybody is, how they got there, who he's playing basketball with, what he's doing. And and so does the Pharisees. They have this whole doctrinal thing that they believe in. And we read those verses today about the Jewish people, how they're close but just not quite there. And, he, and Jesus says very clearly, without knowing me, there is no better place. There is no reuniting. Your loved ones aren't looking down on you from heaven. And it's, it's uncomfortable to talk about, and it seems really harsh. It does seem harsh, but Jesus is, is saying these words so that we don't give anybody this false security that would take them give them this false belief that they're going to the paradise and going to the promised land and going to a better place 
because you can't get to the better place without Christ. Does that make sense? And he's very clear there. And so sometimes we have to say things that really hurt people's feelings. They get mad. And and we have not seen our grandkids since before October. And we're not allowed to uh, because of an honest thing that Liz said that that has convicted our, our son and his wife so badly that they can't be around us. They don't want us around their children. And and I... I give I give Liz credit. I do. She's stronger than I am to to take that bold stand, and it it's heartbreaking to to us. But we we want them to know Christ, and if it takes a, a decade, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, but Liz would rather see her daughter-in-law in heaven than see her grandkids. Does that make sense? She made that decision, and it was a harsh one and a hard one to, to make. And she just shared her concern for their salvation. Well, that is taken as, you're better than us, you're judging us, you don't want to be around us. And, and you know how the world responds to that. And it's, it's a hard thing. Um, but the words of Jesus are just as hard. Who's he talking to? He's talking to men who have dedicated their lives to serving who they believe the Father is. They are Pharisees. And he says to them, you know neither me nor my Father. He's basically telling them they're going to hell. Verse 20, these words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him for his hour had not yet come. They wanted to, trust me. They wanted to take him and they wanted to drag him and, and, and have him killed. And they'll eventually get there when he decides it's time. But his time's not yet come and, and they don't. So then Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. You talk about harsh and honest. By the way, this is something I would, I could never say to anybody. Not because I'm not brave enough, but because I don't have that ability to look someone and say to them, they are going to die in their sin. You might have said that to the thief on the cross until the last moment of his life when he went to paradise. Jesus knows how it ends. So he can look at somebody and say, you're going to die in your sin. Now I can say to somebody, if you do not receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will die in your sin. But there's an if there, isn't there? There's, there's a chance that they can come So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. What's he ta- We're going to heaven. What's he talking about? We don't know what, what this is all about. And he said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Again, talking to Pharisees. 
you are from beneath. You're right from the, the depths of hell. How can he say that? Because the, 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 the devil is a liar and the father of all lies. And any, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks on Sunday morning, any teaching that draws people away from Christ is called the spirit of the Antichrist. And the Bible says there are many Antichrists. And, and what is the definition of Antichrist? Well, the Pharisees are Antichrist, aren't they? They're anti-Jesus. Uh, they're pro-God, but they just don't know who God is. Therefore, I say to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, that's a truth we can preach. If you do not believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, you will die in your sins. Um, but here's the problem in 2002. While we can preach that, there are plenty of churches people can go to that won't preach that. So everyone can find a place where they can be religiously satisfied and still live in sin. And really, that's what man wants. They want to do what they want and still go to heaven. They prefer darkness rather than light. Verse 25. Then they said to him, Who are you? And I don't think it was in the, the context of who are you as much as it might be. Who do you think you are? And Jesus said, Just what I've been saying from the beginning. I have many things to say and judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true. And I speak the to the world those things which I heard from him. Very important. If Jesus, who is the word that was made flesh and dwelt among us, only speaks the things that he hears from the Father, then we ought to do the same thing, right? We should only speak the words from this book. Only speak the words from this book. And and then we'll be on safe ground in, in talking with the fathers. And we went over that long today. Um, verse 27, they did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. And he says, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing of myself. But as the Father taught me, I speak these things. Um, so what is he talking about when you lift up the Son of Man? What is, what is that making reference to? It's the cross. When I'm lifted up, then you'll know. And we know that Nicodemus came and got him. We know that there, there was one of the, uh, the guards realized that he was the Christ. And he's going to rise again. He who sent me is with me. The Father's not left me alone. For I, all, for I always do those things that please him. So if you want to be like Christ, what did Christ do? According, in verse 26, he only teaches the things that he hears from his Father. In verse 29, he always does, does the things that please his Father. So if you want to take up your cross and follow him and you want to walk like Christ, then those are the two things you do. You teach what Christ and God has taught us in the word and you do everything you can to please the Father, to please God. 
Finally, verse 30, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Now, that's a really subtly great verse because you would ask yourself this question. If Jesus knows that these men are going to die in their sins, why is he wasting this time going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth? It is because there are people around listening to this debate. And the people around listening are seeing something in what he says. We'll see the phrase over and over again in, in John. He speaks as a man having authority or no one's ever spoken like this man. And as a result, many people around believed in him and began to follow him. And so that is why we speak and why we preach. We just never know who's listening. We never know who is, is going to respond to the world, to the word. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you for the truth. Heavenly Father, help us to be wise as serpents and, and, and uh, meek as a dove as we uh, face these questions and, and people try to, to twist things around and, and pin us in a corner. And Lord, if we just let the word speak for itself, Lord, help us to go and sin no more, but to live a life that desires to please you and live a life that is sharing only the words that you would and, and have no private interpretation and no uh, wild thoughts and, and false predictions. And we just pray, God, that you would be honored and glorified by our lives. We pray that uh, for those who don't know you, I pray for our uh, son and daughter-in-law. And we just pray for grandkids and, and for Liz at this time. Lord, this is weighing heavy on her, that you would just uh, be with her and give her peace. And, Lord, we know that your word is strong and that, God, you are faithful. And we just pray, Lord, for your direction tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.